If you were on a deserted island, what one book would you bring with you? Other than the Bible, of course. Think about it. If it's only one book, it should be a big, big book. Because you might be spending a long time on that island. <laughs> and seeing that you have no friends on the island, you should bring some spiritual friends. How about if you can bring exactly 27 spiritual friends? Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review 27 servants of sovereign joy, faithful, flawed, and fruitful by John Piper. A whopping 1,024 pages, published by Crossway in September 2022, available for $34.99 in Amazon Kindle, $35.99 in Logos. But if you listen to the end of this episode, I'll tell you how to get this book for free. Preacher, teacher, writer, poet, Pastor John Piper has made many, many grown men and women all around the world cry with joy through his sermons, books, and podcasts. But what will be John Piper's most enduring work? Will it be one of his books? Perhaps Desiring God. It is, after all, the book that gave the name to his ministry. Or perhaps his magnum opus, Providence, a book that I reviewed in episode 7. Another likely contender for John Piper's most enduring work is today's book, 27 Servants of Sovereign Joy. This book is an update of his 2018 book titled 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. Now, that book was a collection of seven books. This book is a collection which adds the never-before-published books 8 and 9. This is a great deserted island book. It's kind of cheating because you it's really nine books in one, but it's not cheating because it is still technically one book. In today's review, I'll review books 1 to 5. In the next episode, I'll review the rest. You might think that I'm stretching it because it's such a good book that it deserves two dedicated episodes. That might be true. I don't know because um, the real reason is I haven't finished it. I'm only up to book seven. And I don't want to delay the podcast release, nor do I want to rush through the book. I'm taking Piper's advice here. He has told us many times that we need to read good books slowly. Now, just to get an idea on how these uh, books are organized and how they can help you, let me start by asking you this question. If you could phone, call up three friends, who would you call to remember joy or to, to endure a difficult trial or if you want to hear someone talk about suffering well well here are the names that john piper picked in book one the title of the book is the legacy of sovereign joy and piper picked uh, augustine martin luther and john calvin in book two the hidden smile of god so you're going through very difficult times and then you don't know whether god is speaking because he seems hidden 
And in this book, we have John Bunyan, William Cooper, and David Brainerd. In book three, titled The Goods of Endurance, we have John Newton, Charles Simeon, and William Wilberforce. In book four, Contending for Our All, we have Athanasius, John Owen, J. Gresham, Macon. And last for this review, for this episode, we have book five, which is titled Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ, which is a book about uh, suffering. And we have here William Tyndale, John G. Patton, and Adoniram Judson. Let me ask you, do you recognize those names? Now, if we were asking a different question, if I ask you to name some of the richest men or some of the prettiest women or the strongest, fastest, smartest sportsmen in the world, you might have given me some names. Don't you think that it is only right and good that Christians know the saints who have rejoiced the most, who have endured the most, who have suffered the most. And um, Piper definitely thinks so, and for good reasons. In the preface to this book, Piper writes, I quote, I think that what was said of Abel in Hebrews 11 verse 4 can be said of any saint whose story is told. He quotes the, the verse, Through his faith, Though he died, he still speaks. It has been a great pleasure as I've listened to these voices, but not only a pleasure, they have strengthened my hand in the work of the ministry again and again. They have helped me feel that I was part of something much bigger than myself or my century. They have showed me that the worst of times are not the last of times, and they made the promise visible that God works all things for our good. End quote. There is more here, but you get the purpose of the book, the reason why Piper presents these lives to the pastors in the Bethlehem conference and why he takes those messages in that conference and turns them into a book so that everybody else can read about these people that we really must know. Now, this means that if you are looking for critical scholarship, if you are looking for a new perspective on George Herbert or George Whitfield or George Mueller, this is not the book for you. Now, undoubtedly, uh, Piper did a good study. The evidence is in the footnotes. Lots of them. Lots of quotes. Quotes from their sermons and writings, quotes from contemporaries, uh, family and friends, even quotes from critics, skeptics, and modern scholars. And I repeat myself. In Piper's own words, I quote, Throughout the year before each conference, I would read about the life and ministry of some key figure in church history. Then I would decide on some thematic focus to give unity to the message, and I would try to distill my reading into an hour-long message. The messages and the edited versions are unashamedly hortatory. I aim to teach and encourage. I also aim never to distort the truth of a man's life and work. But I do advocate for biblical truths that his life illustrates." End quote. At this point, you might ask, why bother reading Piper? You could read Augustine's Confession or David Brainerd's journal. Why not get it straight from the saint's mouth? 
because Piper takes what he reads in a year and distills them. Augustine's confession is 161 pages long. Brainerd's journal is 426 pages long. And if Piper read what all the saints wrote in this book, in his list of his, he might even have read John Owen's commentary on Hebrews, all 3,600 pages of them. So for the rest of us mere mortals, we benefit from Piper's biographical portrait. Each person has, in this book, give or take 40 pages of story, 40 pages of lesson, 40 pages of, of, um, of Piper's thoughts and, and uh, inspiration, what he got out from uh, these uh, inspiring figures. So after reading these uh, short portraits, where he also lists all the, the biographies and all the books that he has read, I'm sure that Piper would be more than happy to know that after reading his 40 pages, that you thirst to better know these true pilgrims. Okay, So it is a very good way to get a survey, to get to know of many very uh, strong saints from the past. And let's pick one man as an example. And I struggled <laughs> to do this. <laughs> I mean, from books 1 to 5, I have 15 men to choose from. And how do I choose my favorite? Oh, I don't know how to choose. I can't even choose my favorite John. In this book, in this whole book, you have John Calvin, John Bunyan, John Newton, John Owen, John G. Payton, uh, John Charles Rao, a.k.a. J.C. Rao, and you also have John Gresham Macon. I can't even pick my favorite John. <laughs> and not to mention that whether it's 27 or 15, all these men have impacted me in different ways at different times of my life. It is an impossible choice. And I was going to roll a dice and just pick a random guy as a way to uh, just give you a flavor of what to expect from this book. Then I thought of a different question. I decided to ask, who best represents the book? Whose life crystallizes the theme of the book? And when I asked that, one name rose above all the rest. And it's a name that I believe the other 26 men would agree with a smile on their face. Let me read the prayer he wrote. Okay, this man. Let me read the prayer that this man wrote in his most famous book. I quote, How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place, you who are sweeter than all pleasures, though not to flesh and blood, you who outshine all light, yet are hidden deeper than any secret in our hearts, you who surpass all honour, though not in the eyes of men who see all honour in themselves. O Lord my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. End quote. Now this man coined the phrase sovereign joy, which is the title of the book and the theme of the whole series. Now speaking of series, um, this uh, collection was published, now before this collection was published as one big book, it was a series of 
small books. And the series was titled, The Swans Are Not Silent. The Swans, the big white bird. Okay, So the Swans Are Not Silent. And there's a story behind that, uh, that title, that series title. And you can read that uh, origin story in book one. And in that origin story, the original swan, that story, it's about this man. Martin Luther was a monk in this man's order. Uh, John Calvin quotes this man extensively in his writings. And John Piper listed this man as the first of the 27. He is none other than St. Augustine of Hippo. He coined the phrase, sovereign joy. And this sovereign joy is what sets this collection apart from other biographies. Now, someone else might tell a better story of William Cooper or William Wilberforce or William Tyndale. A biographer like Ian Murray can un undoubtedly, okay, Ian Murray is fantastic, can do a fantastic work of art, of literature with uh, all these subjects. In fact, Ian Murray is the man who inspired Piper to do this uh, series in the first place. Even so, even so, I can't think of anyone better than John Piper to tell the story of the sovereign joy in these 27 men, in their persevering, in their suffering, in their contending. I can't think of anyone better than John Piper because his entire life and ministry in this aspect is an extension of what Augustine described. Now, Piper writes in, about Augustine here, let me quote, Few people in the history of the church have surpassed Augustine in portraying the greatness and beauty and desirability of God. He is utterly persuaded by scripture and experience that he who is happy who possesses God. And he quotes uh, Augustine here, You made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace till they rest in you, end quote. So, and the Piper continues, he will labor with all his might to make this God of sovereign grace and sovereign joy known and loved in the world, end quote for Piper. Now, what may turn some readers off is the reform flavor of the book as captured in Piper's quote of Augustine here. Let me quote Augustine here. A man's free will indeed avails for nothing except to sin if he knows not the way of truth. And even after his duty and his proper aim shall begin to become known to him, unless he also take delight in and feel a love for it, he neither does his duty nor sets about it nor lives rightly. Now, in order that such a course may engage our affections, God's love is shed abroad in our hearts, not through the free will which arises from ourselves, but through the Holy Ghost which is given to us. Quoting Romans 5 verse 5. End quote. So, there is... Throughout the whole book, okay, if, throughout all the different biographies, the different chapters in this book, there is a strong reform flavor. And if your blood pressure goes up every time you see a tulip, then allow me to put things in perspective so that you can still uh, gain from this, uh, from this book. 
As we all know, or if you did not know, then you will know now, uh, John Piper is unabashedly uh, reformed. But uh, Piper does not set out to be tribal, uh, in, whether in his sermons and definitely not in this book. And he is not deliberately being controversial. I can say this because of how he groups the people in this, uh, in this book. In book four, Contending for Our All, the theme is to contend, to fight. Now, Piper has given an opportunity over here to go full tribal. He could have rallied people to the Calvinist cause. In the blue corner, we have George Whitfield, the Calvinist. In the red corner, we have John Wesley, the Armenian. And fight! But he doesn't do that. Piper could have also called us to join Charles Spurgeon, who famously, in many, many sermons, contended against the Armenian belief. Instead of doing all that, Piper puts George Whitfield in book 6, with the title of that book being Seeing Beauty and Saying Beautifully, where he brings out Whitfield's uh, preaching power. Now, every Christian can celebrate Whitfield's preaching prowess. Then, for Charles Spurgeon, he puts him in book 7, uh, with the title A Camaraderie of Confidence, where he brings out Spurgeon's common man ministry. And again, something that all Christians can admire. And who does he put in book four, the fighting book, the contending book? He introduces us to Athanasius, who contended against Arianism, the belief that Jesus was not truly God. He picks John Owen, who contended for holiness, public and private. And lastly, he gives us Macon, who contended against modernity, aka liberalism. So he, he doesn't try to go full tribal and try to get people to enter the Reformed faith. <laughs> Actually, there's no Reformed faith, there's the Reformed doctrine, there's only a Christian faith. So he's not persuading you to take reform. He doesn't want you to take the reform doctrine. He wants you to take Jesus. It's just that the doctrine is the bedrock from which all these men, uh, I can't say all, some are not actually reformed. And I'll talk about that in the next episode. But then he analyzes them from the reform perspective. Now you may ask, how can Piper take us to Jesus and not the reform system? if he brings out the reform system to present Jesus. I think that's quite difficult uh, to explain, but Piper articulates it far, far better than I ever can. Now, let me read what is currently my favorite paragraph in the whole book. Piper starts book four, Contending for Our All, okay, that's the book title, with these words. I quote, some controversy is crucial for the sake of life-giving truth. Running from it is a sign of cowardice. But enjoying it is usually a sign of pride. Some necessary tasks are sad, and even victory is not without tears, unless there is pride. The reason enjoying controversy is a sign of pride is that humility loves truth-based unity more than truth-based victory. Humility loves Christ's exalting exaltation more than Christ defending confrontation, even more than Christ defending vindication. 
Humility delights to worship Christ in spirit and truth. If it must fight for worship-sustaining truth, it will. But that is not because the fight is pleasant. It's not even because victory is pleasant. It's because knowing and loving and proclaiming Christ for who He really is and what He really did is pleasant. End quote. Now, if you have listened to John Piper preach before, which I have, um, his voice comes out as, as I read his books. And, and he's, I, can, I can imagine him with his eyes twinkling, he's uh, smiling mischievously, his hands all over the air, flailing wildly, and he is just giving his all as he preaches the, what he truly believes and is convinced of. And he wants you to join him in rejoicing in the truth. So that is John Piper. And that comes out, I believe, in the book, but I'm not sure maybe it's because I've been so exposed to John Piper. But I think that his, that his enthusiasm, his joy does come out from the, from the book. And, and, he, and he also addresses, okay, in, in that same book four uh, about uh, contending for the faith, and he, he, he addresses the Christian who thinks that time spent on endless arguments about doctrine could be better spent doing some good. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, for Christians who cannot see how doctrine can be of any use to a practical faith. Well, uh, Piper says this. Again, I, I'm repeating, I'm not repeating, I'm, uh, I'm uh, saying this, I'm quoting this because I want you to get a feel of how he writes. So let me quote, uh, There are more immediately crucial tasks than controversy about the truth and meaning of, of the gospel. For example, it is more immediately crucial that we believe the gospel and proclaim it to the unreached and pray for power to attend the preaching of the gospel. But this is like saying that flying food to starving people is more immediately crucial than the science of aeronautics. True, but the food will not be flown to the needy if someone is not doing aeronautics. It is like saying that giving penicillin shots to children dying of fever is more immediately crucial than the work of biology and chemistry. True, but there would be no penicillin without such work. End quote. So he, again, he reasons things out with you. So in the earlier passage, you can sense his uh, preaching mode. And over here, you have his uh, reasoning mode. So he is both someone who writes very well. I mean, he has a, he has a background in poetry. He loves poetry. And that comes out in his, <laughs> the way he phrases certain things. And, uh, he, but he reasons out. He likes the logic of, of, uh, of statements flowing forward. So that is uh, John Piper. Uh, and he displays that in this book. So we can see here that if you have a problem with the Reformed doctrine, then realize that in this book that the doctrine is not an end, but rather a means to seeing Jesus. And that's why I think that this book is useful for all Christians. Piper's enthusiasm for Jesus is contagious. And as you read, you wish you can see Jesus the way Piper sees Jesus. You wish that you can live wholeheartedly for Jesus the way these 27 men lived for Jesus. Don't you wish that? I mean, don't you really wish that? And so um, let me make my final point for this episode, uh, for this uh, portion of the, of the book. 
we, we should wish to, to live and to see Jesus, especially when we see this, um, this man, the way they persevere, the way they endure and suffer. Uh, as I read the book, as is my custom, uh, when I read a good book, I share excerpts with people I think can benefit. And um, while I was reading on the biography on the, on the life of John G. Payton, uh, which is, by the way, a name that I didn't know before this book, um, Piper writes, let me quote, over and over this, over and over, this faith sustained him in the most threatening and frightening situations. As he was trying to escape from Tana, Tana is the place that he was ministering, at the end of four years of dangers, he and Abraham were surrounded by raging natives who kept urging each other to strike the first blow. Then uh, Piper quotes from, uh, uh, over here quotes from Peyton's own autobiography. I quote, My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken, that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevail to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ, whose is all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. End quote. As I was reading this uh, this biography, and I was highlighting, and I was just uh, it was it is a gripping story. And I was again every time I read uh, a, a biography, I always wonder how come I don't know this? Why is it that this this is like unfamiliar to me? Because the lives that this man lived should be memorialized. Everybody should know. Not just Christians, but the whole world. So it always shocks me whenever I read uh, a gripping story, which is true. Because the story of John G. Payton is far more exciting than any Marvel or DC or Hollywood film. Because this is a true story. This is a true story of our brother in Christ battling the kingdom of darkness. Battling, I mean, <sighs> ignorance. Battling spiritual darkness. It's, it's, it's true. This is not a scriptwriter's uh, comic book adaptation where you have an actor buff and fit and where he pretends to be a god of thunder in front of a green screen. Now, he's very good at his job, but he was not really in any danger. But we, we, our hearts are in our mouths as we watch the film and we are wondering what will happen next. And then, oh my goodness. And if you look at how the whole world turns around celebrities and movies and so on, I tell you, on that day, on that day, many who ridicule Christians for worshipping Jesus, those people will be ridiculed for idolizing men and women who pretended to be gods. So let us make sure that Christians are not going to be one of those people. My life is richer as I read of William Cooper's depression, David Brainerd's loneliness, and Adoniram Judson's uh, his lost after another lost and another lost. He has really suffered. 
one of Adoniram Judson's last words were, how few there are who die so hard. And when you read the story, you will understand why he said so. So, the, the movies you watch, the books you read, and the music you listen to, all these things can be inspiring. I agree with you. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, very um, inspiring. Um, Rocky, Sylvester <laughs> uh, Stallone's uh, Rocky, very inspiring. There are so many inspiring films. But at the end of the day, for the Christian, where does your hope come from? In Piper's book, For These 27 Men, their hope and sovereign joy comes from the Lord. And this is the end of part one of this book review. It's, come on guys, it's a thousand page um, of nine books of 27 servants of God picked by John Piper to encourage Christians to savor joy, to endure, to contend, to suffer, and so much more. There are plenty of biographies out there, but what you get here is a determined expression of sovereign joy from a poet-writer whose whole ministry is caught up in that heavenly joy. You know those uh, shows where a soldier reviews war movies and he tells you things that you never notice? Or, you know, those uh, behind-the-scenes uh, clips where we see the movie makers uh, do their work? Well, in this book, we have John Piper, who himself is a servant of Sovereign Joy, and he is reviewing the lives of other outstanding servants of joy. And as he rejoices, his joy bleeds out from the pages. We also rejoice. And he also shows us what goes on behind the scenes. So we marvel, we, we, our hearts are broken when we see their flaws, we, their struggles and their pain. And we realize that they have every reason to reject God. They can at any point in their lives just say, that, Enough, Lord. It is enough. I'm out of here. But they don't. Because for one reason, because they know Him and they love Him. So it's wonderful to read these uh, biographies as we look at them as, as the subtitle for the book is Faithful, Flawed, and Fruitful. And that's, I'm hoping that that's also a way to describe uh, my life and perhaps even yours. Now, that's, that's all for this episode. Uh, give me two weeks to finish the book and put my thoughts in order for the next uh, podcast. Now, in the next episode, we will see how Piper deeply admires and at the same time firmly disagrees with C.S. Lewis. Uh, there is something for us to learn there. And uh, looking ahead, Piper has saved the best for last because the final book lists Jonathan Edwards. Oh, that is... Piper's biggest hero. And we also have Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's my biggest hero. I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. And also Bill Piper. Bill Piper is Pastor John Piper's own father. And I'm very, very curious to see how he ends this, this entire book with a tribute, I expect, I haven't read it yet, with a tribute to his father. And that's a wonderful... I mean, every father would wish this, uh, that their son would have 
looked at their fathers uh, with such admiring uh, heart. And maybe this is something that all fathers should aspire to. Anyway, I can't wait to read uh, to finish this book. With that, this is a Reading and Readers Review, Part 1 of 27 Servants of Sovereign Joy, Faithful, Flawed and Fruitful by John Piper. A whopping 1,024 pages published by Crossway in September 2022. It's available for $34.99 in Amazon Kindle, $35.99 in Logos. And I did promise you that if you listen to the end, I'll tell you where you can get it for free. And you can get it for free in Desiring God. <laughs> Pastor John Piper's uh, own uh, ministry website, DesiringGod.com. If you go there and you search for this uh, book, you can actually download the entire book for free. So... And uh, you can also check out all the links and all the show notes of this podcast and every podcast by going to my website, to the website uh, www.readingandreaders.com. That's uh, www.readingandreaders.com. So thank you for listening and I will see you for the next episode. Bye-bye. <laughs>